The number, one 990 You can email help at insurancelawyer.ca. We'll get to all this and the injury calculator in just a little bit. Uh, James, Savan, welcome back, fellas. We've got a lot of stuff to get to today. We'll get to the other uh, week that was off the top. Your questions and emails as well. Savan, why don't you go start us off, pal? Absolutely, John. Thanks. And uh, it's been a very, very busy week. Let me start off with a question that was posted last week to uh, our website, mydisabilityquestions.com. Remember, it's a website where if you're on long-term disability or you've been denied, you're applying to it, you know someone who has questions about long-term disability, you don't want to call us for whatever reason, you don't want to email us, post your question on that website, and I will answer that question within minutes. Uh, So here's the question. This one comes from uh, Wanda in Brampton. She writes, I have been diagnosed over three years ago with fibromyalgia and chronic fatigue uh, a few years before. And my fibromyalgia has gotten so bad that I now require a walker if I have to do any walking or shopping. I've been denied twice already from the insurance company for my long-term disability and have not received any income since end of May. Uh, My unemployment ran out, so I have no money. Human resources from my work has also been fighting with the insurance company on my behalf, and they still denied me. What else can I do without showing them in person that my rheumatologist stated that I, I'm unable to work? My doctor says I can't work, etc., etc. And then she concludes by saying, my illness is so unpredictable that the slightest bit of stress can flare it up and the work that I am involved in is quite stressful. Just wanted suggestions on how to explain it to them. Thank mm-hmm. you very much. So, you know, the first uh, um, thing that I'll say here is, you know, again, when people are approaching long-term disability claims, particularly when they've been denied by the insurance company, the assumption is that there was a miscommunication. The insurance company is just not getting it. Maybe there's another way that I can explain it to them. You have to understand what insurance companies are doing. Uh, In many instances, many clients who come to us we review uh, the medical documentation that they present to the insurance company. We review the policies, the letters of denial. And what we see is that the insurance companies are denying uh, unjustly. In other words, they should not have denied. And in this case, in Wanda's case, given the fact that her condition is so debilitating and her own work, her own employer, the human resources department there is advocating on her behalf, right? They're, t- they're telling the insurance company that she, you know, she can't work. Presumably they've seen uh, what she's gone through. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, her, her case is extremely strong. And of course, you know, if you go on the website, you'll see my answer to her, which is give us a call, email me, we'll uh, review all the medical documents and we'll explain to you what your options are. You know, and ultimately, in many of these instances, it's not a matter of explaining anything to the insurance company. It's starting a legal claim against the insurance company, taking it out of the hands of the adjuster who's, do, who's making these denials, who is just issuing these letters in the hopes that Wanda and people like her will simply walk away and not do anything about uh, their claims for compensation. Not a difficult case to resolve. And this is what I want to stress. Many people who are handling these kinds of cases on their own, get frustrated, they give up, their families give up, you shouldn't give up. Come to us, let us help you, at the very least talk to us so we can review the documentation and tell you if you have legal options. one 990 is that number. Help help at the insurancelawyer.ca through email as well. What else you got going on? Uh, okay, uh, here's another uh, interesting LTD case. Uh, this is coming to us um, from uh, Toronto. Mm-hmm. This lady, her name is Emma. She's 45 years old. Uh, it's an LTD case. Very interesting fact scenario. 
So she's been on LTD for 11 years. Over a year ago, about a year ago, her insurance company told her that she would have to go and start see their psychologist, mm -hmm. okay. psychologist that they had uh, recommended uh, every week. Uh, now, keep in mind, she's being treated by a psychiatrist. She has a psychiatrist that she sees regularly. She finds that the psychologist that the insurance company recommended uh, is not providing her with good care, whatever that means. We don't really understand that at this point. We don't know what the facts are, but she is unhappy with the psychologist that their insurance company recommended that she go see. Uh, and, you know, what her concern is that the psychologist that she's seeing on behalf of the insurance company on a weekly basis is providing reports to the insurance company yeah. which are unfavorable to her. Uh, and she's getting a sense from the insurance company that on the basis of those reports, she's going to be cut off uh, at some point. Uh, and, and she suffers from depression, post-traumatic stress disorder, anxiety, a whole slew of these kinds of symptoms, which again can be very debilitating. So, you know, this is not the first time that we see insurance companies recommend, and I put that in quotes, to their insureds to go to a particular clinic to see a, sp a specific uh, practitioner, whether paid for by them, paid for by the insurance yeah. company. Exactly. Now, I don't know who the psychologist is that she's seeing, but what I do know is this, this psychology was recommended by the insurance company. As far as I'm concerned, there is a conflict. There is an inherent conflict for the insurance company, I think, to tell a person to go see a psychologist or a clinic or whoever it is that they want treating this individual. Because when it comes time for the insurance company to request updates about the person's ability to go back to work or their health, there's going to be an inherent conflict there, right? The psychologist in this case, or any clinic really, that's been recommended by the insurance company is going to keep wanting to have the insurance company recommend them on other cases, which means that there may be bias in the reporting to the insurance company. Bias, which would be against the best interests of the individual they are supposed to right. be treating. It's also a little bit problematic because it seems like it's interfering with um, the treatment that she's getting from her psychiatrist. Um, and you know, given that she's getting treatment from a psychiatrist, there's really no basis for the insurance company to require her to see somebody else um, in those circumstances. It doesn't make a lot of sense unless there's a specific purpose that the insurance company has in mind. And anyone want to take a guess what that purpose might be? Yeah, we've seen that time and time again. And, and unfortunately, by the time, you know, people come to us, uh, the individual has already been treated, quote unquote, by these clinics or these practitioners uh, who are, you know, who were recommended by the insurance company. And now the insurance company has, uh, you know, something to work with to try and cut off the individual. So again, very important, if you are told by the insurance company to go to a clinic or go see a certain practitioner, Call us first. Let's yep. have a discussion and let us tell you what we think about your particular circumstance. one 990 is the number. The email is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. Lots more of the show coming up. The Insurance and Injury Law Show. This is Talk Radio, AM 640. one 990 To get a hold of Savan and his team, email is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. If you haven't checked it out yet, injurycalculator.ca. It's a pretty uh, unique and amazing tool. We'll get to that here in just a bit. Uh, James, you had uh, you had something for us for uh, as we continue the week that was. What do you say? Yeah, I had a, a client who has been with me for a while, and his case settled fairly recently. He was injured on a bus, a, a public transportation bus, and he broke his ankle, required surgery, uh, and he's never going to walk normally again. It's oh. a significant case. But as he was a passenger on a bus, as you might expect, there were several other claims. I think there were nine claims in total that were started by passengers. 
um, and everyone named the driver of the vehicle that hit the bus. The driver was making a left turn and hit the, the bus in an intersection. And so, you know, this proceeded to examinations. And what we found after examining the bus driver and the driver that hit the bus is that the driver that hit the bus turned left because he saw the bus driver signal right and move into what was a right turn only slash bus lane. So the bus, in order to go through the intersection, would signal right, move into the bus only slash right hand turn lane, okay. and then go through the intersection to the bus stop on the other side. And so the other driver coming the other way sees this, sees the bus driver signal right, thinks the bus driver is turning right, makes his turn and hits the bus. Now, the driver of the other car is still at fault, but the problem is he's got $1 million of policy limits and there's nine claims. There isn't enough money. No. So I speak to the lawyers representing some of the other plaintiffs, um, the other people seeking uh, compensation from this accident. And I say, listen, I think that there's a claim here against the city because I think that this intersection is designed very poorly in a way that is going to see a lot of similar types of accidents because people are just going to misunderstand what these buses are doing. And one or two, one or two of the other lawyers agreed with me, but the rest didn't see any value in it. So the three of us name the city, and guess what? The city wound up paying significantly. They contributed to the settlement. Um, and you know, the point of all of this is that no matter what your case is, it's important that you always look at it creatively, um, that you look for any other solutions in order to get the job done. Had we not done so in this case, um, you know, our client, as well as a few others, would have been out a significant amount of money because there wouldn't have been enough. Right. So you got to explore all avenues, right? That's that's an amazing example, and I can tell you, John, having you know, we speak about the fact that I've, I've that I used to work for insurance companies. Conversely, to what James did here, which was very creative, which resulted in more compensation for his client. Having worked for insurance companies, I can tell you that the majority of lawyers I was dealing with were not that creative, and in fact, oftentimes they missed categories of compensation that, yeah, I mean, I'll give you a very, very short example. I was defending a store uh, where a a gentleman that was in his 50 was accused of uh, stealing, of shoplifting. And the security guard of the store uh, physically uh, forced the individual, the plaintiff, uh, well, at that point it wasn't a plaintiff, but uh, um, forced him to go back uh, until they waited for the police to come. Uh, Now, the police came, they cleared him of everything, he did not shoplift, and he started a claim. And here's the interesting thing. The claim was brought for humiliation, whatever that is, okay? okay. It was essentially for humiliation, for the fact that he was made to feel badly, etc., etc. Well, guess what? We settled that claim for almost nothing. Very, very little money. I can't tell you how much, it's confidential. Right. But here's what the plaintiff's lawyer missed. They missed a physical injury. When that individual was forced to the back of the store, his arm, his right arm was twisted. There was a tear to his shoulder. I can tell you right now that that claim was worth, by the time you factor everything in, probably close to $100,000, maybe even more because of the significance of the injury. This claim was settled cents on the dollar. I'm the one who settled it for the insurance company. Why? Because the other lawyer not only wasn't creative in the way that James described, but missed a significant part of that claim. People out there, you know, they're injured, they have issues with their long-term disability, they just, you know, they don't know who to go to. You have to do your due diligence, you have to understand that just like in every other profession, whether it's dentistry, whether it's, you know, uh, somebody, uh, a real estate agent, 
whoever you go to, there are people who know what they're doing and there are people who don't know what they're doing. And, you know, it's it's at your peril if you don't do your due diligence, if you don't really investigate and make sure that you get somebody who knows what they're doing. Before we wrap up, give me some details. I mentioned a couple of times already. Uh, already is the injury calculator. Tell me about it. Injury calculator. It's a fantastic online tool. It's free. Uh, it's a database of cases from across the country. What it does is it allows you um, to simply go on it and input a few key pieces of information. It'll take you literally 10, 15 seconds about your injury, the type of injury, the severity of the injury, and then it combs through a database of cases of similar injuries across the country, and it'll tell you what you can expect to potentially recover as compensation for your pain and suffering. Now remember, every case is specific. We're we're dealing also with questions of fault. Whose fault was it for your injury? I mean, that can affect the amount. But if you wanna know, just like in the case I just described with a shoulder injury, a tear, maybe uh, you broke your knee, you broke your ankle, you suffered a concussion, you wanna know what you're potentially looking at for pain and suffering, go to the injury calculator tool. It's free and just gives you a starting point. And at the end of it, if you're interested, you can click the consult button mm-hmm. and then we'll get the information. We'll contact you and have a discussion about your specific case. one 990 9646 Again, dot And for email, help at the as well. Lots more coming up, including your emails and the Insurance and Injury Law Show Talk Radio, AM640. One triple eight nine nine zero ninety six forty six. The number help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. And if you haven't checked it out, mydisabilityquestions.com. Put your question in there, and it'll be replied to very shortly. If it hasn't been answered already, there's a drop-down menu. You can go through those and have a look at what's uh, already been asked. Uh, you know, you, you often talk about injuries, and especially concussions. What should a person watch for if they've uh, suffered a head injury? Because that's what a concussion is and an accident. Uh, and how will that affect their compensation claim? Well, John, let me go right now to the Mayo Clinic's website. And I just stopped in concussion. And here's what it says. It says a concussion is a traumatic brain injury that affects your brain function. Effects are usually temporary, but can include headaches, problem with concentration, memory, balance, coordination. If you've suffered a concussion, which again, I say it's a brain injury, uh, you should be definitely seeking legal attention, uh, legal attention, medical attention. Yep. Of course, that goes without saying. And legal attention. Uh, <laughs> legal attention. And legal attention, exactly, absolutely. Especially when you're dealing with in a car accident mm-hmm. or it's a slip and fall. Something happened. Someone else was at fault. The law allows you to recover compensation for your injuries. Now, when you're dealing with a concussion specifically, you are dealing potentially with far-reaching ramifications, right? I mean, if you have someone in the sports who's world, right? In the sport, yeah, exactly. Crazy. Look at the sports world, absolutely. But not even the not just the sports world. Any one of us. Mm-hmm. You're 30 years old. You're 12 years old. You're 50 years old. If you suffer concussion and those symptoms don't go away, you now have impaired function. You can potentially be looking at astronomical damages to the extent that there is insurance available for yeah. recovery, right? So something as simple as you have a 50-year-old individual who's making $50,000 a year, that person suffered a concussion because somebody uh, hit them from behind sure. or sideswiped them. It was a terrible crash. That person now is now unable to work. Do the math. I mean, you're talking about claims that can result in millions of dollars of, of, of compensation. Uh, of course, again, you know, no amount of money is, is going to, to put you back in the position you were health-wise, but it's important that if you've suffered this injury or you know someone who has suffered this injury, yeah. that they seek uh, the legal information that they need in order to understand what compensation they can recover. It's it can very, be huge. It's, it's very true. And, you know, anytime I come across a case and I see the word concussion anywhere in the description, it sticks out like a sore thumb. Why? 
um, because it is automatically something that is going to affect every case significantly if it doesn't resolve. I say every case because it doesn't matter whether you have a physical job or whether you have a sedentary job where you're sitting at a desk all day. No matter what you do, if you suffer from post-concussion syndrome, you are going to have a significant impact on everything that yeah, you it's do. Your melon. You it's, yeah. it, it affects your entire thought process, yeah. your ability to concentrate, your memory, your you know ability to focus on things. A lot of people have light sensitivity um, or sound sensitivity. It really has far-reaching effects. And the reality is, in many cases, the doctors don't know when it's going to resolve. Right. So whenever I see that, no matter what the circumstances, child, adult, physical job, sedentary job, it is always significant to me. Uh, and John, if I can just add, <clears throat> um, just going off following up on the, on the last uh, segment mm-hmm. uh, where I explained that uh, many lawyers uh, who advocate for people who are injured often miss certain things, you know, concussions. You can't just have your lawyer argue that there is a concussion. You have to be able to invest in the claim. What does that mean? It means that when you come to us and we believe there is concussion, the doctors are talking about con- concussive symptoms, we're going to be sending you to certain experts, people who are at the top of their field. You know why? Because the insurance company has to see it. They have to get right. these reports. If we don't build up, quote unquote, the case, if we don't send you to these top people who can put this down on paper, and that costs a lot of money, this is what we invest, right? We don't expect our clients to pay for that. Uh, That's what we invest in order to make sure we maximize the compensation. That's how, in our view, justice is achieved. But in many instances, lawyers who uh, represent individuals who have concussions, uh, particularly more severe types of concussions, when they don't do that, when they don't get those top experts, insurance companies value the claims less, which As means it's would. a lot less money in the pockets of those individuals right. who are going to be uh, disabled for life. one 990 is the number you want to start with. It is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. We'll get to an email uh, from Leslie. I'll throw this one to you, James. It says, uh, my father slipped on a wet floor inside the entrance of a department store in July. It was raining hard that day, and uh, they just didn't have any carpets yeah, or, uh, or in front of the signs or signs. My father's 67 and uh, broke his left shoulder and hip. He was in the hospital for two weeks for surgery and then uh, home care for another eight weeks. Now my wife is taking care of him at home. Can he get some compensation? Can she get compensation for his pain? Can everybody get compensation really, right? Well, the answer is absolutely yes. And there's actually quite a bit that we need to talk about in this. So I'm going to answer briefly, um, but then I think we should probably continue this when we come back. For sure. Um, so very, very briefly on the... Um, the starting a claim side, certainly, um, you know, your father would have a claim, um, presuming that, uh, you know, there's sign- enough evidence to show that the, the store didn't put out the carpets, as, you, as you've mentioned. Um, but, it, you know, as well, both you and your wife would probably have a claim as well, too, for providing the care. Um, there's a few more things that we should unpack after the break. So why don't I leave it at that and we can come back. Excellent. After. We'll get back to it. The number uh, in the meantime, one 990 9646 Email is help at the You'll find out what your uh, pain and suffering should be for your case. Simple injury calculator.ca as well. More of the insurance and injury law show coming right up. Talk radio, AM 640. One triple eight nine nine zero ninety six forty six. The number help at the insurance lawyer dot three email. Uh, James will get back to Leslie's email. Father trip fell inside a store. Carpets weren't down. It was wet. Uh, surgery and now home care. Basically, is what it came down to, right? Yeah. I, so the other thing, John, I wanted to talk about here is the fact that he broke both his left shoulder and his hip. So we're talking about very significant joints in the body. 
Um, and, you know, that he had surgery at age 67 suggests to me, um, or at least in other cases that I've done that have had similar types of injuries, that there's a good likelihood that he's going to need further surgery down the road. So we're not just talking about the injuries that he's suffered now, and we're not just talking about the rehabilitation that he just had to go through and, you know, any income that he might have lost, but we're talking about everything that's going to happen as a result of this injury for the rest of his life. Yeah. Um, and if he's going to need two or three more surgeries down the road, um, you know, to replace the joints, as often happens in these cases, then that's included in part of the claim, as part of the claim. Um, and, you know, the care that's required for those further surgeries down the road is included as part of the claim as well, too. So absolutely, your father, um, you know, certainly has the basis for a very solid claim, and it could be quite significant. Leslie, appreciate that email. The number is one triple eight nine nine zero ninety six forty six. How about uh, how about stuff like addiction, like alcohol, drugs? Is that is that classified a disability? Can you claim as such? Well, you know, from a medical perspective, you know, I, I don't want to speak too much on it because obviously that's not my area of expertise. Although I will say, everything that I have heard or read suggests that it absolutely is right. a disability. Uh, from a legal perspective, it is as well. Uh, the only caveat I would put with that is that. Uh, when we're talking about disability claims, um, each policy is different, and it is not uncommon to see wording in an exclusion to a disability policy that will include issues around addiction. It's not always standard language. So the way that addiction figures in can be different in one policy and another. In some cases, um, they'll say, uh, it will exclude it for addiction unless you are actively in recovery. Okay. Um, there are some I've seen where it completely excludes it for addiction and others don't mention it. So the point of all of it is that uh, while addiction certainly is a disability, how it will impact your disability claim is something that you'll want to speak to us about. You'll want to have your policy with you um, and we'll review it for you and give you, a, give you an opinion. One triple eight nine nine zero ninety six forty six. Again, the email is help at the insurance lawyer.ca. I'll throw this one towards you. Uh, Savan Suzanne says, my husband uh, is a vet and did a tour in Afghanistan. He is suffering from PTSD. And despite his doctor's reports that he can't work because of his condition, the LTD insurer denied his claim. We appealed the denial and just got a letter saying that there is just insufficient medical documentation to support him being off work. He works as a security consultant and was earning close to $200,000 a year. We just think that they uh, they don't want to pay the LTD because he was making so much money. What can we do? Well, Susanna, first of all, uh, you know, from all of us here, I can uh, um, I would like to say uh, a big, big thank you to your husband uh, for his service. Uh, you know, John, it. This is one of those things that I, I could I could talk about for hours in a very angry voice. You know, how can these insurance companies possibly deny these kinds of claims when you are dealing with people who protect this country, people who put their lives on the line? Uh, you know, them suffering PTSD. You know, and and the insurance company simply ignoring what they have gone through, it's ludicrous. Yeah. It's absolutely insane. And, and I'll tell you more than this. This is be, this would be one of those claims where uh, if we started a claim, I'm not saying that it would go that route, but I can tell you that I can see the media picking up on that because this is just absolutely disgusting. Um, so, you know, are they denying because they don't want to pay because he's making close to 200 grand a year? Maybe. I'd like to see the denial letter. I'd like to see... The medical reports, which I'm, I'm sure are extremely strong, 
Uh, I can tell you that uh, I have represented individuals who uh, have been on tours before. You know that that have uh, you know that have provided that that, that were in service and yeah. and you know. <laughs> Insurance companies, once we start the claim, they they oftentimes fold extremely quickly. I mean, they just don't need this. This is this is probably a loan adjuster who's decided that uh, he or she thinks that they can save the insurance company some money because he's made. But exactly by denying a vet, this absolutely disgusting. And I, I can tell you, we are going to make them. We're going to force them to reverse their position. Would it be part of it because it's it could be a you know a, a mental impairment, not a physical. You can't see it on an X-ray. That's often the case. A hundred percent. That many many times in many instances. Uh, you know, there, there's prejudice. There's a lot of prejudice uh, by insurance companies, not just insurance companies in general, right? I mean, if you don't see something, you don't believe it's there, right? I, if I had a headache and we took an MRI or a CD scan, is, is it going to show anything? Hopefully not. Uh, but, you know, but in, in many cases, people are suffering from ailments and sometimes they're physical ailments uh, and, and you can't see anything on an X-ray or an MRI or, or whatnot. So yeah, there's definitely prejudice out there against uh, people who are suffering from anxiety, depression, mental disability. That's why it's so crucial and important to make sure that the people who are treating you are providing those reports to the insurance company that in detail lay out why it is that you are unable to go to work. Because I can tell you, when we press the legal claim against those insurance companies, they fold. They, they come to the table and they pay. one 990 help at the If you haven't checked it out yet, find out what the pain and suffering component of your claim should be. Injurycalculator.ca as well. It's the Insurance and Injury Law Show. Talk radio, AM640. One triple eight nine nine zero ninety six forty six is the number. Help at the insurance lawyer. Get to another question for you, Savan. Uh, John, before you get history, to that, yeah, before you yeah. get to another Uh-oh, question, what? I'm just, I, I'm just. You're angry. I'm still Same angry thing. about that. I want, yeah, about that email from Susanna. I, I just, I can't believe that the insurance company denied this vet's claim because he suffers from PTSD and they don't believe it. They don't believe that he can't work. I, I just. I, I, I'm just beside myself. James? I, I couldn't agree more. Um, there's very few issues that are going to get me angrier than mistreatment of veterans. Um, and, you know, insurance companies will take the same position time and time again. But to do it in a case where you're dealing with a veteran, you know it's a veteran, and, you know, that a veteran has PTSD is just you know such a common a common uh, result of having, mm. um, you know, tours overseas that... You know, to deny it uh, on that basis is so cynical. Uh, you know, I, we try and remove emotion from our jobs because you have to do it or you can't get through the day. But cases like this make it impossible. They really do. We'll get to this question for you, Savan. Does work history factor in when you try to figure out if someone has a good LTD case? I mean, does it matter if the person's worked for 20, 25 years where they work? Uh, you know, I think it does. I think, and I'll tell you why. Uh, I mean... The the issue in an LTD case is whether the person can go back to their job or any job for which they're suited for. But, you know, when we look holistically at the case, one of the questions that I ask people is, how long have you been in this job, right? If I have someone who has been in a job for seven years, 10 years, 15 years, and now they're unable to do their work versus someone who perhaps have been in that job for a year, I'm not saying that the person who's been there for a year is not disabled or is trying to pull something, you know, is trying to squeeze the system. I'm not saying that, but, you know, inherently you think a person who's been there for a long time, there's just more credibility to the claim, right? Uh, No different than if you're in a car accident or you've you've been injured and now you have difficulty working. 
you look at the work history, you see somebody who's been working for 25 years, there's credibility there. Why would the person say they can't work given the fact that they've worked all their lives, you know? So the credibility aspect to it, the fact that you've had such a long work history, in my view, is significant when I press the insurance company for compensation. The other thing to consider is that, uh, particularly at the two-year mark for LTD claims, the question becomes not can you do your own occupation, but can you do any occupation for which you're suited for by training, education, or experience, right? Training, education, or experience. So we're looking at experience. What is your experience? What's your education? Uh, we're looking at, you know, do you have transferable skills? And oftentimes insurance companies will want you to undergo a transferable skills uh, analysis. They're trying to see if you can do any other job. Uh, so yeah, those that kind of question is important and we often delve into it uh, with clients, uh, you know, partly for the claim and partly because we do want to help the person eventually go back to work right? It's, it's to no one's benefit. The person just stays at home and collects a paycheck. But yeah, absolutely. Very, very important. It also kind of depends on the case too, though. With certain kinds of injuries, you're not so worried about proving that there's a disability because it's painfully obvious where there, you know, are objective injuries with objective symptoms. Um, you, you know, it's not a difficult thing to prove that there's an ongoing disability. It's where you're dealing with the subjective that it becomes more of an issue and things like your work history can matter. The other thing I would add is it's not necessarily the case that um, your work history needs to be entirely with the same employer. A good work history is a good work history. You may have moved jobs once or twice, but if you've been consistently employed for the last 20 years, whether it's with one company or four, it still shows that you're someone who is in the workforce, who wants to work and who is going to work if they're able-bodied. We'll get to another email. This one comes from Jennifer, says, My 34-year-old daughter has an eating disorder and has been hospitalized on and off. I'm wondering if we can appeal her LTD denial after she sees another specialist in two weeks. Her family doctor and psychologist have both said uh, repeatedly that she can't go back to work, but the insurance company does not agree. Well, okay. So the short answer is yes, you can appeal the LTD denial, um, but really uh, there's no reason to do so. Uh, The insurance companies put these appeal processes into the claims, into the denials, I should say, uh, because they want to draw it out. They want to make you wait as long as possible before you speak to a lawyer, before you bring a legal claim, because they know that if they can do it for, if they can get you to wait for uh, more than the limitation period, which is typically two years from the date of the denial, that you will not have any ability to challenge them at all. So they set up this appeal process and all it is, is you're, you know, sending, you're asking the same people who have denied you. You're saying, okay, I know you cut me off. I know you said that I don't have a disability, but just look at it one more time, please. Pretty please, would huh. you? And you know, what's the result? Well, you know, they get denied. And guess what? If you get denied the first time on the appeal, they'll give you a second appeal. And they'll give you a third appeal too. They'll yeah, give you as many as time. you want. As long as you're still in the appeal process and not bringing a legal claim, they'll keep letting you appeal because they know sooner or later the clock is going to run out. That's pretty scary. That's a scary thought. It is, it is scary, absolutely. And, and, you know, when the letter is constructed, the letter that's sent to you telling you that your claim has been denied, and at the bottom it says, you know, you can go ahead and appeal, it gives you hope. I mean, think about it sure. from a psychological standpoint, it's actually brilliant. It gives you hope. Don't call a lawyer. 
right? Uh, try this on your own again. And, you know, James is right. The clock is running throughout this whole exercise, but not just the clock is running, your finances are running because at some point you're going to have no money. You're not going to be able to sustain a fight. That's why we try to get ahead of the, the process. As soon as someone uh, is denied, even if you're told that you've been denied, but you're not going to get cut off for another month or two, don't wait yep. until the money stops. Get Come to it. us now. Exactly, because we can do something now. By you waiting, all you're doing is prolonging the process of resolution, which means there's going to be a period of time where you're going to have no money. Why do that? Come to us now. We'll help you now. We'll take a quick break. Get right back into another one of your emails. It is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca and the number one 990 The Insurance and Injury Law Show Talk Radio, AM 640. One triple eight nine nine zero ninety six forty six. The number help at theinsurancelawyer.ca, and if you've not used it yet, the injury calculator at injurycalculator.ca. Find out the number, what your pain and suffering component of your claim should be. You can contact Savan and his team at the bottom of that uh, particular app as well. Jeff writes in, says I've had a long-standing issue with uh, numbness in my hands, and have been seeing a neurologist for a few years. In the past few months, it's gotten worse, and I can't even do my job. I'm an electrician. I got short-term disability for 17 weeks, but then was denied for long-term disability because they say that it's just temporary and I should be able to go back to work in some capacity. My neurologist says I can't work and won't be able to go back to work at this point. He suggested I should appeal the denial. Oh God, here we go. Should I? I know no, the Jeff, yeah, the, no, exactly. Yeah, absolutely none. not, uh, Jeff. Your neurologist is is you know he's doing what he's doing, what he thinks is best for you, and I think he should stick to medicine, just like I shouldn't be advising you on the medical stuff. Right. Uh, no, and James just finished talking about that. Don't appeal the denial. I'd like to see the reports from the neurologist and anyone else that's been treating you. You know, when insurance companies uh, come back to an individual and say, we think that you can do something somewhere in some capacity. I mean, what, what is that? It means absolutely nothing. And oftentimes they say it and it's not backed up by, by any, you know, medicine. Sometimes insurance companies will have their own doctors uh, review the medical documents sent by the individual who's claiming the disability. And the insurance company will rely on the opinion of their doctors who have never seen the individual to say, no, our doctors think you can do something, or our doctors don't think that, you know, you're that disabled. Come on, I mean, give me a break. Here you have a guy who has an objective, an objective type of a disability, meaning that objectively the neurologist probably did testing and and shows the person has numbness, has issues uh, with his nerves, whatever the issues are. You know, this is not going to be a difficult claim to resolve, Jeff. Uh, again, we need to see the denial. Do not appeal it. If you appeal it, I'm not going to guarantee you that you're going to get denied. I can't tell you that, but I can tell you that in the vast majority of cases that we see in our office, when people come to us after they've appealed, they've come to us because they've been denied. They've been denied those appeals, the second, the third, and you know, the umpteenth appeal. Come to us, let us see the documentation. We would likely start a claim against the insurance company very quickly. We'll take it out of the hands of the adjuster who originally denied the claim. It will go internally to an adjuster who deals with legal claims. They'll have a lawyer appointed on the other side, Mm -hmm. and we're going to start talking to them about how the insurance company or how much the insurance company is going to pay you for compensation for your claim. And Jeff, if you're listening, next time you go see your neurologist, 
Maybe just give them a tip and tell them to listen to our show. Yeah, give them a card. Yeah. Just listen to these guys, okay? one 9646 is the number. Help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. So I'll ask you this, James. If you're if you're denied short-term disability and you want to start a legal claim, should you be doing both short-term and long-term, or even if it's not a factor yet? Well, generally, yes. Um, the only issue is when you have a different insurance company for ah. short-term and long-term. Right. Um, in that case, you're going to want to wait until you've applied for the long-term disability insurance. And if and when you are denied for your long-term, then you sue for that as well. Um, but in many cases, it's the same insurance company for short and long-term disability. And you don't have to wait then. Just You, you, can, you can bring the legal claim right away. So, Savannah, how important is it to choose a good clinic with a good reputation after an accident for disability? That's extremely important. Yeah. And uh, I can tell you, just like insurance companies know Uh, when they get a claim on their desk, when they look at the name of the lawyer or the law firm, they can assess fairly quickly whether they're dealing with someone serious or not. Uh, You know, by the same token, they know the clinics, uh, whether it's in Toronto or Ottawa, Windsor, wherever it is. uh, You know, there are some clinics who are uh, on a certain list. Shifty. uh, Shifty, yeah, a bad list. And, you know, a few years back, I think there was a whole star expose about clinics that were trying to scam the system and, Mm you know, insurance companies uh, were overpaying, you know, and that's legitimate. I mean, there's a lot of a lot of bad clinics out there uh, who are not providing treatments, not providing good treatments, and very, very important to make sure that you do your due diligence. Now, I will not tell you what clinic to go to. I know there's some lawyers who will give you recommendations. I don't like that. Uh, I think you should go to your doctor and get uh, a list of clinics from your doctor, or if you're being treated at the hospital, I mean, you know, right. do do your due diligence. No different than you do your due diligence when you choose a real estate agent, or when you know you're going to the dentist, or whatever it is. You got to make sure that uh, you do your due diligence. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, I see this less as a legal question than a medical question. I mean, frankly, you know, if you're injured, if you've got a serious disability, you want to make sure that you're getting very good treatment. So, you know, you want to make sure that you're not um, at one of these places that, you know, are getting in the morning above a Dunkin' Donuts. Well, really that, you know, have some side deal with, you know, a shady lawyer um, and, you know, they're really just in it trying to make as much money off of your claim as possible. You want someone who is a medical professional who is there to make sure that you're getting better, that you're getting the correct rehabilitation that your doctor has recommended. That's that's very true. But from a, from a legal standpoint, you know, if, if your case hinges on credibility, you didn't break anything, but you have pains in your back, for example, and they're debilitating, but there's no x-ray that shows anything, and you're going to a clinic that insurance companies don't like, it can taint your case in the eyes of the insurer. That's not to say that's not to say that you know you don't deserve the money that you should be getting compensation you're getting but it's going to make the process a lot more difficult right. because if the clinic is tainted in the eyes of insurers your claim may end up getting tainted as well Good for another week, fellas. The number as we uh, wrap it up here, one 9646 You need email. It is help at the If you uh, want to find out what the pain and suffering component of your claim should be, that's easy as well. The injury calculator, that can be found at injurycalculator.ca. Till next time, the Insurance and Injury Law Show, Talk Radio, AM640.